Well, I've kind of been taking us on a little bit of a journey my last two messages, last few messages. Uh, last time, a few times ago, I spoke a two-week series on the hated. Uh, sometimes the very people who get accused of being full of hatred are actually at a closer look, the ones who were being hated. Uh, we, we looked at what the Bible said about being hated, believe it or not. There are some benefits to being hated. Jesus warned us about it, gave us some insight on how to handle that. I, I, I'd encourage you to take a look at those uh, two messages, the hated, uh, both part one and part two. Thinking about that, by the way, again, just within the last few hours, I noticed on the news that there was a teacher up in the state of Washington who's catching some Black, I think rightly so, because uh, she was responding to some parents who were a little bit concerned about secrets being kept about their own children. Of course, this is commonly today concerning gender issues and, and trans issues. I think that was the case here too. But in response to that, uh, she was complaining about the parents and she actually used this phrase. She said she thinks it's necessary to keep students uh, their information secret from, and I quote now, Christo-fascist parents. You know, see, there you go again. Uh, sometimes people think, are you the ones that are hating? I'm not so sure, man. Just because I love my kids, I'm called a Christo-fascist. But then we went, not to stay that, we went from the hated, then we talked about the loved. Isn't that great? Sometimes we're not only hated by the world, we are loved by God. I don't know about you, I would rather have the entire world hate me as long as God is on my side. Or to put it maybe in a more clear fashion, learn to live your life for an audience of one. If everyone else is booing and jeering and canceling you and hating on you, you know what? That's very painful, who wants that? But as long as God is still on our side, we're, we're in okay shape. Now today, I want to move on and talk to you for a, a week or so on the subject, the victors. So watch the journey from the hated to the loved to the victors. One reason God had me start Faith Community Church back in 1980 is because God really wanted to help his people learn how to grow. You know, I never set out. Uh, I never set out in the late 70s and the church officially started in 1980 to grow a big church, I always focused on building big Christians. I always felt that a growing church was just the natural result of Christians who were growing big. Uh, we're in the discipleship development business. I want to see you get strong in the Lord. Uh, I thought healthy sheep are just going to reproduce. Don't have to yell at your church every week. Come on, church, bring your friends. We're not growing. <laughs> I thought if the sheep are healthy, hey, they're, they're going to reproduce. I always had, I always had, also, I should say, had kind of a passion to uh, try to bust some of the negative stereotypes that were out there back in those days about Christians. You know, Christians are always after your money, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or church is boring. I used to tell people all the time, hey, you know what? If you come to faith, you may not like it. You may not ever want to come back again. But one thing you'll never be able to say is that it was boring. And I believe that to this day. Today, maybe some of the stereotypes we have to overcome are, well, you're the people that hate, you're Christo-fascist. Uh, I thought about things like this when I launched the church. Can God's people really learn to be religious? Let me say it like this. Learn to be spiritual without being religious in the negative sense of that term. Uh, be spiritual without getting spooky or judgmental 
or, or just weird. I thought the church should be a balance between the spirit and the truth. I've always thought the Bible should be viewed as a book, not only so much of, of mass destruction, although the Bible is a very, very powerful book, handled with care, but God never intended us to use the Bible to bash people with and just destroy them with. No, no, no. It's powerful, but I think the Bible is also a first aid kit that is there available to help people and to help them grow up. I, I used to tell our church years ago, and I would say to this day, that faith is not so much of a health club in the sense that the spiritually buff show up to flex their muscles in front of the mirror. Now, I do like the image of a health club if we're there to get stronger, to get trained, but I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, just the coming there and showing off spiritually how big our spiritual muscles are. No, we're also meant to be a spiritual hospital where those who are in need can receive understanding and help. I always believed in preaching that not only caused people to want to have shouting lips, but also thinking minds. Uh, I've seen a lot of churches where the preachers could preach the wallpaper off the wall and you could run and hang from the chandeliers and spit, scream, and shout. But what was really said? I saw other churches where the pastor was saying stuff that was kind of okay, but it was just so boring. No one was listening to it. So man, what if we could have preaching and teaching that, that you know gets people fired up and brings those proverbial shouting lips, but at the same time gets people thinking I like to tell our church, my job, while I'm certainly trying to persuade people as a Christian and as a teacher, my job is not so much to get you to think like me, create little Jim Reeve clones. My job is to get you to think. <laughs> I like that comment. I like having a church where you can come as you are and be accepted just as you are, no matter what your thoughts or issues or, or, or anything else is. But I also want you to be inspired to change and to become more than you ever thought you could be. Bottom line, find your identity in God. A lot is said in culture today about identity and self-identifying as, which is whatever. For believers who really understand God's plan for their lives, we need to get into the flow of what God declares us to be and identify ourselves according to him and his word. I've always liked when Moses asked God, hey God, what's your name if I'm gonna go tell Pharaoh to let my people go? And God told Moses, says, you go tell Pharaoh that Jehovah, or actually more properly, Yahweh sent you. And of course, that word means I am. So I like to say it sometimes like this. I am who I am says I am. Let me say that one more time. When it comes to Jim Reeves' identity, I am who I am says I am. I wanted to have a church and create a church that was um, multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural, more than simply celebrating, I'm sorry, more than simply tolerating diversity, but actually celebrating diversity. I like what Paul writes in the book of Galatians when Paul writes these words. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in 
Christ Jesus. Man, in the church, we are just one people. There's not Jew or Gentile. There's neither slave nor free or employee and employer or worker and CEO. In church, man, we are all the same. There's not even male and female. <laughs> that can almost come across that, that, that God is God is just beyond gender. Uh, and when you identify in Christ, it, it just goes way beyond whatever gender in this day and age you may say you're going to identify with. In fact, maybe we Christians at some time sometimes should come up with our own new pronoun for our gender in Christ. Uh, I'm just joking, but just a thought. Let's talk about victors then. Uh, being a victor in Christ. I want to read to you Psalm 46, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 11, and it really is like a victor's chant. I, I want to get some of you excited. I remember as a kid, Growing up, and because my grandpa had gone to UCLA, never graduated because he had to go get a real job, couldn't afford to stay in school, and my dad had gone to UCLA, same thing happened to him. He couldn't afford to stay in school, had to go get a, a job to provide for himself and his family. But because of that, sorry Trojan fans, I just grew up a UCLA Bruin fan. Uh, never went there. But hey, that's just how I was raised. Kind of like I was raised a Dodger fan, a Laker fan. I was raised a UCLA Bruin fan. And any Bruin fan knows this. Talk about a, victor, a victor's chant. Every Bruin fan knows the eight clamp, eight clap, <laughs> eight clap that goes three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U C L A. UCLA, fight, fight, fight. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man, when you're at the games live, football, basketball, whoo, that's fun. For all USC fans, come on, man, Trojan fan. I had a friend in high school that was one of the most sought-after quarterbacks in the nation. He ended up going to be quarterback at USC. By the way, during his reign, USC was number one. And what got him? For all you Trojan fans that think I'm being unfair, the white horse and fight on. You know, uh, oh man. Well, how about a Christian one? Here we go. Uh, listen, Psalm 46 is a great victor's chant for all of us believers because we are victors. We are the victors. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> a very present, well, I love that, in case I forget to say this later, a very present help in trouble. That means that when you really know God and life starts to fall apart, you don't have to go around looking for him. He's present, he's a very present help. He's right there. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with this swelling. And then there's that word selah, which again is a musical term because these were songs, but it kind of has the idea of meaning pause, slow down, think about it. Let that thought marinate. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, culture went crazy, the kingdoms were moved, nations are going nuts, but he, or, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah marinate on that. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. Man, I wish he would tear apart all those nuclear weapons and the like. He burns the chariots in the fire. Verse 10, you know this one. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And it closes with Selah. Settle down. Be quiet. Meditate on that. Woo. That's as good as the eight clap. Oh, yes, it is, Bruin fans. That is as good. In fact, it's better than a white horse and fight on, Trojan fans. Oh, man. You know, and sometimes we need that kind of victory chant because no matter how mature you are, how uh, faith-based you built your life, you're going to go through seasons that are going to cause fear to come up in your heart. And look at me, an instinctive reaction of fear does not disqualify you as a person of faith. It, it, it just means you're a human. There are seasons we go through that are seasons of frustration and aggravation. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, and I've been walking this faith walk for decades, and yet I'll tell you something. In my experience, some things are simply gonna, gonna break me down. I love verse two that we already read. It says in verse two, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, the waters roll and be troubled, all that says God is still gonna be with us. Little sidebar here. Did you know that Psalm 46 verses two and three gave rise, if you go into the history of one of the most famous songs in popular um, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's really rock and roll, but pop music culture come actually from this. If I, I'm not a great singer, but what if I do this, this, this little bass thing here? Boom, 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 I don't know how good I got that, but even though music, you know, when the night, you know, and the, the mountain should fall into the sea. I won't cry. I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear. Just as long as you stand by me. The great Benny King wrote that song, sang that song. He himself said he got a lot of that song from, from another star that, that had been around at that time who'd written a, a Christian song, of which out of that had come from an early 1900s song written by an African-American hymn writer in 1905 in which it came out of this Psalm 46. So the next time some of you old timers or even young timers hear that beat, dun, 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 it's not just about a romantic relationship. If the sky should fall and the mountains crumble and the oceans rage and roar, you know what? I will not be afraid as long as my God stands by me and he will. Uh, it's kind of tough sometimes to receive that, that kind of help when we're in the midst of the storm or if, if we feel disqualified, like, you know, well, I've messed up too much. I'm not a good person. Pastor, I'm, pastor, I'm not a preacher. I don't come from a line of preachers. Actually, I don't either, although my uncle was a preacher, <laughs> come to think of it. But uh, well, I don't come 
from a long line of preachers like Rick Warren at Saddleback and some of my other friends. They just, they, uh-uh. And you may say, Pastor, I don't come from any preachers in my background. In fact, if I go through my heritage, it's <laughs> it's not pretty. My relatives have spent time in prison and done this and done that. That does not disqualify you right now as a person of faith. Let me give you a cheer right now. I wish I could do the eight clap or the fight on song in Jesus' name and encourage you. This Psalm, Psalm 46, is not a Psalm of David like many of the Psalms are. It's a Psalm from the sons of Korah. Do you know who the sons of Korah are? Well, this, let me tell you who Korah was. Korah was one of the key figures who led a rebellion against Moses and Moses' leadership and suffered not only the wrath of Moses, worse, he suffered the judgment of God upon his life, and and it was not a pretty picture. And yet, look at me, and yet his heritage became part of, uh, of people that would worship the Lord Today, we would say they got plugged into church, their lives turned around. In fact, they got involved in ministry, the sons of Korah did, which is why they didn't write as many psalms as David, but they wrote many of the psalms. So if you hear feel today like, man, pastor, I feel more like a son of anarchy. I love that series, by the way. I feel more like one of the sons of anarchy than I do a son of David. Hey, I got good news for you. God can't wait to turn things around for you. And yes, he will also stand by you. Well, this psalm in its total presentation brings out the issue that becomes very real in our lives a lot. What do we do when there's absolutely nothing we can do? Since this is my victor sermon today, what do you Trojan fans do if you're down late in the game, but then all of a sudden out comes the white horse and uh, fight on, bum, 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 bum. you start to get fired up, you want to cheer your team on, come on Trojans, I know you can do it. UCLA Bruin fans, you're one to you. See, dun, 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 dun. I want to encourage some of you right now, what do you do when there's nothing else you can do, when things are totally out of your hands. In fact, maybe you're even praying. I know, when there's nothing else you can do, pray. I I get it. Actually, prayer should not be a last resort, but a first choice. But nonetheless, you know what I'm talking about. Even when all you have to do that you can think of is to pray, you still have to live in the reality of what you're facing while you're going through, through that that issue, that drama. Psalm 46 makes it very clear that even when it's out of your hands, there's one thing left you can do. Be still, know that he's God, he's gonna stand by you, mountains might, might crumble, oceans rage, enemies go crazy. When it's out of your hands, learn to put your life and your situation in God's hands. Let me say that again. When it's out of your hands, make a conscious decision, the best you can do to put the situation in his hands. Selah, marinate on that for just a moment. Let that thought marinate in your life. And God is our, this Psalm says several times that God is our strength, God is our refuge. Remember in the early days of our church back decades ago, one of the very simple songs that declared it simply was praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. 
And I like this next part. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer in him. Will I trust? Praise the name of Jesus. When it's out of your hands, put it into his hands. Run to the rock of your salvation. Let me let him hide you in the cleft of that rock. In this psalm we just read, how do the sons of, of, uh, of, of Korah recommend we do that? Well, a couple of quick thoughts before I'm done. Number one, I want to encourage you to, to do this. Relax. Or to say it in a different way, keep your composure. This psalm is really a psalm that is shouting at you, don't fall apart. If the world falls apart, you don't have to fall apart because God's going to stand by you. Put It's out of your hands. Put it in his hands. And while that's happening, there's no use panicking. But this thing's going to kill me. Probably won't kill you. But if it does kill you, let it kill you in his hands because he's the only God I know that he's there with you to your dying breath. And here's the part I like even better. He promises to be with me after my dying breath. So even if this even if this thing does take me out, I would still rather go down with Jesus than without him. I was uh, since I've been talking about USC and UCLA because I grew up a UCLA Bruin fan. To this day, one of my heroes is, is the late great UCLA basketball coach John Wooden. One of the thrills of my life was having breakfast with Coach Wooden out as a little place in a in Encino, and he's already in his 90s. I took my son, Jeff. Whoa, that, that is one of the greatest things in my life. I got to have breakfast with, I should do a book on that. That's like a book, huh? Breakfast with Wooden. But uh, John Wooden, whose basketball team won, what, 10 of 11 years, something like that, the national championship. We'll never see something like that ever again. The top basketball player every year, the award he gets, if you're the like they give the Heisman Trophy in football, it's the Wooden Award. For, for basketball, named after Coach Wooden. He was a Christian, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that out. But one of the key things he taught his teams, because when UCLA was, was huge for a decade like that, 15 years, I mean, if you're a UCLA fan, man, it was heaven on earth, but everybody else hated the Bruins. So whenever, whenever they went in, I, I mean, the crowd was against them. A lot of times the referees were against them. But John Wooden kept teaching his team what I'm tell, trying to tell you right now. Stay calm, relax, chill out. <laughs> Today we might say chillax. He liked to use the word poise, that no matter what's going on, keep your poise. And I've always loved that. I used to think, man, Jim, even if life takes you out and you get destroyed, whether for good reasons or bad reasons or in between, keep your poise. Or like my dad used to tell me, keep your head held up high. It's, it's the opposite of just falling apart or panicking. Or I'm also thinking right now, uh, I think it was in the 2000 playoffs, the first year the Lakers won the championship with Kobe and Shaq. And at one point, I think it was against an Indiana, I think it was a, a, could have been the championship against Indiana. And man, it was a tight game. It went to overtime. And I remember Shaq had fouled out, I believe. I don't think he got hurt. I think he had fouled out. And now Kobe's young right now. This is their first championship. Shaq was the real big hero. Kobe was kind of a sidekick. 
Come, that may have reversed later on, but at this time, Kobe was the he was the Robin to Shaq's Batman. Batman had gotten hurt. Shaq was out. And I'll never forget how Kobe took over that overtime as a kid and beat the Indiana Pacers. And at one time when he had the ball in the overtime, or after he made a shot or something, I, I won't be able to do it very good. I'm sorry. Google it. But he gave the greatest expression one time to settle the team down. I, I think he just had made a shot, and he just kind of got that Kobe expression. And then he took his hands and he just kind of went, Kind of like saying, settle down, don't worry, I got this, I'm gonna handle it, and he did. Oh, man. I love Coach Wooden, Kobe's my favorite Laker of all time, and I'm glad they are, because sometimes I think God ministers to me through Coach Wooden's word, keep your poise. If we're on a different court, we're getting bad calls by other refs, and the crowds are yelling at us. Says, and, and even if we lose, one thing we're not gonna lose is our poise. Sometimes I see God look at me and just go, come on, Jim, give this thing a little bit of Kobe. Don't worry, I got this. That God would look at some of you right now and say, not only do I got this, I got, I got you. Uh, and just be still and relax and know that he's God. Look at me, you're not gonna cry always. You're not gonna be despondent always. You're not gonna stay brokenhearted always. I know in the, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to hear, but it's true. You won't be torn apart always. God knows how to hold you until he can either get you back, kind of settle you up, so to speak, you know, get your energy back and your desire to go on again because you've given up. He knows how to hold you until you get your, you get your breath again. Or if you've totally lost it, I remember saying if little kids would just throw a temper tantrum and they're small enough <laughs> and, and you're big enough and strong enough, you could take the kid and hold the kid tight, lovingly but tight in your arms, and they'd be thrashing and mad and everything else. You would just kind of hold them till they settle down because <laughs> they were just out of control. God does that with us sometimes. Sometimes I think in life, we're, ah, we're totally lost and we wonder, man, why that? Why am I stuck in bed now? Why did I get sick? I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, hashtag, just saying, I think sometimes God does that to hold us until we settle down. Be still. Know that I'm God. I got this. But the mountains are falling down. I got this. Listen, keep your composure. I got to wrap these next up very quickly right now. Number two, you got to remember, number two, to let God be God. I mean, if we're going through hell, we need someone bigger, someone smarter, someone stronger, someone who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. And sometimes God does tell us to drop it because he knows we can't handle it. Uh, there are times God tells us to fight, but there are other times God says, drop your weapons, stay in my arms because you, know, you can't handle this. But don't worry, I got you on this. Stop going into panic mode, and that's hard. I, I don't have time to tell the story right now, but Marguerite and I are kind of a good couple because when things really fall apart, Marguerite immediately, every time, goes into fix-it mode. She's going to fix it. And so she's, she's reading, she's doing, she's Googling, she's calling, she's praying, she's trying to fix it. And I, on the other hand, I kind of tend to just shut down. If, if something's really major, I just kind of will shut down for a while it's like I'm kind of in shock trying to figure out what to do. And we're kind of a good blend because sometimes Margaret's doing a little bit too much. It's not helping. It's with a good heart. But Margaret, just settle down. Let's see what happens first. Let's, and on the other hand, I need to be slapped out of my, you know, sitting back not doing anything. We just Sometimes you just have to let God be God. Psalm 46 is a great psalm on that. Just let God be God. Um, 
And you know, he's with, man, I, I wish I were with you right now because some of you could stand up and you could testify right now. You, you could testify how God has had your back many times over the years. Some of y'all have a history with the Lord and you could testify that he really is a refuge. Today, another big phrase is safe space. Well, God is the ultimate safe space. God's our strength. I've already said earlier, God's our present help in our time of need. Sometimes while we're trying to figure it out, as the old preachers used to say, sometimes while we're trying to figure out it out and waste energy and panicking, God already has figured it out. So what did I tell you so far? Keep your composure, posure, have that poise. Number two, let God be God. And finally, the last thing I'll quickly throw out at you is just uh, recognize and then testify. This Psalm encourages us, don't just sit back and let God do things for you. Let your life, or I could say it like this, let your light shine before men. Uh, in fact, sometimes the reason God allows us to go through stuff, and sometimes it's very painful, is so that when he brings us through and we end up on the other side as victors, we're victorious. Come on, Trojan fans, we won the game anyway. Come on, Bruin fans, particularly in basketball, we won the game anyway. Well, sometimes we have to sit back and go, wow, you know, let's just let, let our light shine. They, uh, the Sons of Korah, when they wrote this, the, the psalm closes with, the Lord of hosts is with us. It, it's a declaration. Uh, this quote is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and a lot of people say it's not correctly so, but it's still a good thought. Anyway, the statement goes like this. Um, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> I kind of like that. Now, can it be as an excuse to not say anything? Yeah, and you're, you're just chicken to say anything about Jesus. Sure, you're just kind of hiding and I'm just letting my light shine. <laughs> yeah, no, you're just chicken. On the other hand, some people, they, they, they just talk too much. But I do like that idea. Even if you don't feel like, I don't know what to say, then just let what God has done in your life show. I cannot tell you how many times over the years people eventually have come to us or come to Marguerite. When Marguerite used to have a job years ago as a grocery checker in the supermarket, and after a while, all these coworkers that were getting drunk and sleeping around and having problems at work, they finally would ask Marguerite without her having to preach at them. They would just say, how come you're so peaceful? How can you go through all that? Because she had one boss unfairly on her case that just was, was harassing her all the time, and yet she stayed calm. Sidebar, that boss eventually got fired, not because of her, but because they found out other things about him. Marguerite weathered that storm. Just letting her be her, letting her light shine, became very, very, very powerful. I'll close with this story. Uh, my, my daddy died in church during a church service in the year 2000. And it was our, uh, what was it, our 20th anniversary weekend celebration. And my dad died in church uh, on Saturday night, Saturday night service and Sunday. Uh, my mom wasn't there, so I got and followed my dad's ambulance. I, I kind of knew he was already dead, by the way, but they had to take him by ambulance to the local hospital. I met my mom there. And uh, my mom had just kind of lost it. And when the doctor finally came out and, and gave her the final news that your husband is gone, my mom, and I was behind her, my mom absolutely collapsed and started to, to, to lose it. I'll never forget this. I braced her. I kept her up. I hugged her from behind her, kept her up, and was saying, I was praying for mom. I love you. You're going to make this. And she was just starting to really lose it. And I whispered into her ear, 
And I said, Mom, I said, you need to remember who you are. I said, uh, you're, you're, you're Pat Reeve, you're Chuck's wife. Uh, you raised me in the faith. Your son Jim is, is the pastor. I'm right here of a very big church and people are looking at us right now. They're watching how we handle stuff. I'll never forget this. My mom, did the pain go away? Nope. Was it devastating? You bet. But she got it together. And uh, I was so proud of my mom, not only that night, but for days afterwards. And she told me later that however I said that to her, I probably said it better to her at the time than I'm communicating it to y'all right now. But, but that whole idea about, you know, come on, people are watching us. Now, I'm not talking about being a fake. And, and just showing, oh, we're going to pretend everything's okay because we're Christians. But I am saying this, sometimes uh, for the sake of being a testimony, you got to realize, as, as preachers do, as celebrities do, that, man, you got to keep it together because people are looking at you. Psalm 46 says, God's going to stand by you. Be still and know that he is God. And as he does that, He's not doing it just for you. He's doing it so that you can shine that light and grace through your life to others because sometimes someone else is going to be going through the same pain that God saw you through, the same stuff that God saw you through. And God saw you through it so that you could be not only healed yourself, but an example and an encouragement and a ministry to others. So when it's out of your hands, I dare you to put it into God's hands and watch what he will do suddenly or eventually. I don't know, sometimes God does things suddenly. Those are the miracles, man. Other times God does things eventually, like the 10 lepers that were healed as they went. Sometimes I gotta be healed in my winting, but God is gonna do it. Put your, put your hand in his hand and watch what he is going to do. Well, this message was obviously given to believers to encourage and strengthen, give us a, a victor's chant, you know, spiritual version of the UCLA eight clap, eight clap or a fight on for USC. But I wanna pray for you right now if your life is not right with God. God loves you, God will never ever let go of you, God will never give up on you, even if you give up on him. God's not your problem, God is your solution.